Welcome back to the Overtly Critical Film Show. I'm Ryan. And I'm Corwin. And this week we watched... Natural Born Killers, the director's cut directed by Oliver Stone. Starring Woody Harrelson, Juliette Lewis, Robert Downey Jr. And Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones, that's and, right. And uh, Tom Sizemore. I watched this movie this summer. I think it was actually the 4th of July. Um, and I was I like, appropriate. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it was a little bit, a lot of fireworks. I was like, oh my God, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. Uh, I'm a big fan of Tarantino, and I like Oliver Stone. He made a really good documentary series. Uh, for reference, uh, Tarantino wrote the script, I believe, or was adapted from a script yes, Tarantino it's, wrote? Yes, it's, com- it's complicated. but It's very complicated because I believe Tarantino said he really doesn't like this movie. He called it a piece of shit, and he says, I hated that fucking movie. If you <laughs> like my stuff, don't watch it. Um, but, yeah, so he Tarantino writes the script along with True Romance years and years ago, and it gets sold, and Oliver Stone kind he kept... The dialogue is pretty much all Tarantino's, um, but they rewrote some of the story elements to make it more uh, political because it's Oliver Stone. Um, Oliver Stone, great director, love his documentary series on Netflix, and I love Tarantino, so I was like, this has got to be good, and uh, it exceeded my expectations when I first watched it. But you have a different history. I I had not seen this movie, but uh, Ryan had been hyping it up to me for a while, um, and I was interested because he said it was written by Tarantino, and even though I'm not a huge Tarantino fan. I've never seen anything of his that I didn't think was really good. Um, I just haven't seen a lot of his stuff. Um, and I, I basically knew nothing going in. I knew the, the premise. Um, and, you know, I knew who the director was. I'd seen some shots from it. Um, Ryan had told me it's a very stylized movie, which it is, and I've got some thoughts about that. But I knew really... I, I didn't really know what to expect. Two victims of traumatized childhoods become lovers and psychopathic serial murderers irresponsibly glorified by the mass media. Oliver Stone described it as meshing two of his favorite genres, the road movie and the prison movie. So, you know, they go around and they kill people. It's a, it's a, another script thing. It's a pattern thing. I can see that. They, um, they kill people and then they leave one person usually alive yeah to tell the story of mickey and mallory and then they do it again that's kind of the beat for the first half of the movie it starts off with a pretty brutal um murder killing spree in a uh, a diner um and it really sets up that the people they're killing you can easily see them as not good people oh yeah like that it's also pretty clear that mickey and mallory are worse it's just like they're very demented people, and I don't think the movie ever tries to like, and I think it's kind of a saving grace of this movie, is that the movie really, for the most part, doesn't try and say these are good people. They're not. They're not. They're, they're, they're fucked up people. They are, they're batshit fucking crazy. Right. And it's pretty clear why when we see the, um, the flashback that's sort of set up like this sitcom almost. It's a parody of I Love Lucy. It's well. <laughs> it's I love it's like, I love Mallory. Say I love Mallory, but it doesn't have anything to do with I love Lucy, really. If you've seen the show, but you know right. it's that very classic like '50s sitcom, but it's very dark and twisted. Oh, yeah, and, and then they they put great scene. They put Rodney Dangerfield in there, as oh, it's the, so disturbing. And there's a laugh track at things that really aren't funny. And I think that might have to do with maybe the the way he talks to her being normalized or. I think you're not wrong that that's a fair reading of it, but I think it's more to me came off as it comes off more in the theme of the movie of media misrepresenting reality. Well, right um, in TV, like you know, in the '50s, 
all 50 sitcoms had to be like super sweet and everything and like what a perfect life when like you know life's never been perfect right and you know it was a really big thing like the 70s more the 80s really when sitcoms started to be more realistic like you got stuff like um um Archie Bunker. All in the family? All in the family. I think that's it. But, you know, that character where he's not really a good character but it's debatable, yeah. this this scene takes it to the next level of yeah. extreme misrepresentation. Yeah. It's very dark. That's comedic. true. Because um, I think that's a more realistic look at a lot of fa- how a lot of families are, but it keeps it with that, like, fake plastic kind of... Yeah. A lot of great symbolism in the movie. Um, one of my favorites is that... Um, uh, it's almost not so much symbolism as maybe an actual subtle point. That is, uh, Mickey is like a butcher, works as a butcher. He's delivering meat. That was funny. The opening starts with a montage of like different predators, and just throughout the movie, I noticed that Mickey is very much associated with snakes. Yes. And Mallory is associated with wolves. And we'll, we'll, which is subtler, but I did notice a common trend there. I will get to that a little bit later in visuals, but um. Yeah, that's an interesting thing, too, because Mickey, even later in the movie, talks about comparing, you know, human killing human. Yeah, well, we kill animals, we kill the environment, animals kill animals. So that kind of butcher thing kind of is like maybe Oliver Stone's, maybe it's just it's just a quirky little thing that they did, but it could be Oliver Stone's way of saying it's all the same, maybe. I don't know, that's what he's saying. It's hard to say whether Mickey or Mallory are really the main character. We definitely have more of Mallory's backstory, but I think Mickey does more of the killing. And he's honestly it kind of felt like Mallory is more important to like the first two acts, and then by the third act when they're in the prison, it felt a lot more like Mickey's story. Yeah, which literally the media focuses in on Mickey. It's an interview yeah. with him as the prison rat breaks out. So they that also makes sense. they also treat Mickey as like the bigger criminal. Like they already they already have Mallory, and he's like I'm gonna cut her tits off, and then he's like they're like oh well, then they beat the shit out of him. They beat the living fuck out of him when they catch them mm-hmm. in the drugstore, and then they just like kind of take her off into a car. It, she kind of has her big backstory. Mickey's backstory is like a couple black and white flashbacks of uh, his drunk dad and his dad shot himself in the field. I like that moment a lot and, where it's like we get to see his inner thoughts during the interview of like what happened to his father because they're trying to imply that he killed his father or like they're like, oh, did you kill your father? They're so interested. And we see we did see in his thoughts if he knows what happened, but he doesn't share it because like yeah. it's not their business. I think the movie does a really good look at trauma. And how, especially for Mallory, even if her dad's dead, her dad, Rodney Dangerfield, he appears in many of those, like, sort of psychedelic montages over and over in the movie with, like, the fire and stuff like that. And Mickey gets a lot of flashbacks. I think they deal with trauma well. It's a kind of a new sort of realism that I had never thought about before, where it uses multimedia to kind of immerse you into the world. Part of the movie is what is actually happening. Part of the movie is what Mickey and Mallory see. Part of it is a TV show with Wayne Gale. Totally 90s, like, crime investigation docu-show. They even have a dramatization. It's like you're watching the news that someone in this world with them would be watching. And they kind of immerse you into that. They have three Coca-Cola commercials that they play through the movie. Um, It's interesting stuff like that. And Oliver Stone said he was inspired by, like, MTV I think the most interesting point about the movie is that the guys that are against Mickey and Mallory are almost no better than them. Oh, yeah. There's um... the, the main three are Wayne Gale, Jack Scagnetti, the cop, and Tommy Lee Jones' name. I don't remember. But he's like the warden of the prison. So there's, Jack Scagnetti, to me, is probably the strongest of the antagonistic forces in the movie because he comes off 
very creepy but very also understandable he doesn't really to me come off as psychopathic as mickey and mallory do but he has his own trauma in his life and his own um fucked up behavior like where he kills a prostitute yeah um well i don't know if we ever see him at if she dies but it's implied implied to me it's all about celebrity so Wayne Gale likes the idea that his show is covering the biggest, baddest criminals ever. Jack Scagnetti is feeling great that he's popular, that he caught the biggest, baddest criminals ever. And Tommy Lee Jones is excited at his celebrity that he's holding in his prison the biggest criminals ever. I didn't love the uh, the performance by um, um, Robert Downey Jr. Really? I, yeah, like, I, I know like we were talking <laughs> about why he had uh, an Australian accent but it sounds so fake, and just just let him do a regular friggin' just let him talk like. Robert oh, that was Downey his Jr. decision. Oliver Stone didn't yeah, tell him to do well, that. Well, tell him to fuck off because <laughs> it wasn't a good accent and it's distracting. This movie, I think, does not make its points very well because it's trying to make points about violence and media, and I I think trauma as well. But it does trauma better than it does other themes. But it's somewhat blunt about it overall. It kind of, you know, there's filmmaking conventions and rules that people generally follow because they've been established to work. And this movie breaks a lot of rules very randomly that just don't really add much other than style. And you can make a fair argument that style is important, but I think if you're trying to tell a very dark, realistic story, it's somewhot distracting. The only cr- really criticism I would give this is it could be a little less blunt, maybe, but I never really felt like I was being spoon-fed anything. This is one of the most violent movies I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> and I don't really have a problem with violence in movies. I think you can, I think you can show really anything in art. You can depict it in a good way. Like I almost, uh, I think it was at the point where they are shoving the guard into an oven. It's like the prison riot. In the prison riot, where I was very close to just asking you to stop watching the movie because I needed like a minute, but I just was like, I just want to sit through this and finish it. And I think that violence can be used to make a good point, especially when you're telling a story about violence. But there's a point where it just becomes, you know, um, deafening. I think the movie's supposed to make you uncomfortable. And that's a fair point. It doesn't owe you no. any comfort. Not all not all movies owe you an I, enjoyable experience. It's desensitizing. I, I will agree with that. But also, I just think this movie didn't make a concise enough point about everything, about its what it was trying to say to justify that violence. It is satire. But I will say, if you want to make a point and you want to make a movie that people are never going to forget, uh... It's a good way to do it. One of the big things the movie leads up to is the interview. And this is the last thing I'll say about the story, I think. The interview between Wayne Gale and Mickey. And a lot of that felt like um, the Jeffrey Dahmer interviews that they did in, in 1993 when they interviewed him. Because a lot of this has to do with also, like, the public's reaction to, to people. And people have a fascination with, like, crazy people. And I think this movie tries to blur that line as well. And even Mickey says this at one point. He's like, we know Wayne Gale. Like, are you, you know, are you so innocent? You know, he's like, you know, oh, I'm innocent of murder. He's like, yeah, but are you so innocent? Because like, there is some sort of fascination with people like, oh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer is a very extreme case. But it's like, oh, he's like a crazy person. He's like a, a different kind of, and it's, uh, I think it's a way for people to like. Distance themselves. Yes. I think it's a way for people to even 
ref- like a deflect things too. It's like, oh, I, I'm such a pure, innocent being that I can look at Jeffrey Dahmer and he's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm not that crazy. Yeah, I think it's, I don't know. I, I think I like that about that interview scene because it kind of exposed even how Wayne Gale is not just this perfect grand person. He's oh, he goes fucking crazy by the end of the movie. Yeah, yes, and then he does side. turn. And actually, an interesting thing is, I guess uh, Oliver Stone says that was the stuff that they wanted cut the most because they didn't like that the movie shows how someone could descend into violence. Wayne Gale's whole character arc is great. Despite the fact that I said I don't like the performance that much, and I still don't love the performance, but it is a really good arc um, of he's, like, so obsessed with Mickey and Mallory and, like, he's kind of romanticizing them and the, everyone, and it's almost through it, it, it I didn't realize because when we were watching this and we see like there's a montage of seeing all these fans being like oh I love Mickey and Mallory and I'm like no people don't react that way to serial killers I'm sorry they just don't like years later they do when it's out of context but when there's a crazy fucking couple running through the country killing people I I mean maybe maybe I'm just totally out of touch here and maybe I am but they don't react that way to that like Bonnie and Clyde that's years later that they were romanticized but then I realized that what they're getting is the media's the way the media represents them. And Wayne Gale is representing them in a very romanticized light. Right. And like he's just obsessed with them. He's like, Yeah, I'm I get you, Mickey. They, and at they the end, even put it off as a love story too. Oh, they do. Kind of between the two. Even though, let's be honest, Mickey's a piece of shit. Yeah. Pretty and much. he's kind of a little abusive towards Mallory. Like, he, he, he really is. He has an arc himself. Like, though. he gets very mad when she's not wearing a ring. And, uh, you know, he's like, he, you know, uh, fucking rapes a woman. But Wayne Gale, he's so obsessed with um, them. And at the end, where he's like, thinks he's going to run away, he's going to join them, they just fucking shoot him. Yeah, they do. It's they great. just fucking shoot him. And he's like, he's like, oh, man, it's like, what did you expect? They're fucking serial killers. Look at OJ and, and look at... Um Rodney King and look at um, oh, and Waco, Texas too with David mm, Koresh that, that was messed up but it shows all these things and it's like how the media like portrayed like especially OJ that was like every people were tuning in every day to see that how can the news make that more interesting though and Waco, Texas every hour we're checking in to see how the building is it's like and the media did have tactics to make people watch it and it's exactly what they do and it's like um it's like Wayne's like sniffing his own farts and he's like, oh shit, now I'm like in love with these people. Uh, there's another great bit of symbolism with um, the prison. Uh, the prison is a panopticon, which is one of my favorite kind of architectural symbol- symbolistic things you can do where basically you have a big tower in the middle, several levels of rings, and the idea is that you can see all of the cells at one time. The prisoners never know when they're being watched. It's a really great bit of symbolism it's kind of a fucked up prison design and it's just to me it was a great moment of just fitting again with these themes of media and watching people's private lives what i i know for a fact what the green means and i have a theory about the black and white and the red oliver stone said the green was to signify that mickey was sick that's why he gets a lime pie and that's why the drugstore was green after they got snake bites that's what he said about the green filter in the movie. Or now, it's actually green lighting. That's interesting, but what the hell does that have to do with the scene where she's having sex with the car, with just the garage guy? Because to me, I was thinking... Is she sick? Envy? She was hallucinating Mickey at her car. Maybe she's oh, kind of right. sick in that way. And I think at the ending, it's probably because Wayne became sick. I will say that was the most green key lime pie I've ever seen in my life. The black and white I gathered is 
what the characters see. And I have three times I think I noticed that. Because you're right, it does cut to things like weirdly. I was trying to notice that, but I didn't get it. I, I, I couldn't parse it out. So it the, just felt completely random to one me. One of the times we saw the black and white was... Um, when he asked, he ordered something from Mabel, and the way she responded was totally different and almost like flirty, and that's like what he sees. Um, another time is when mm. in I Love Mallory, the only part that is not like that yeah, you're right. is when he grabs her ass and you see his eyes looking at her. That's what's really happening. Mm. It's not this glamorous, you know, TV show. That's what she's really yeah. seen. And you like the ba- the background fades away. It's oh almost yeah, like an, a noir shot. Right. It's very, very um, well done. That scene is very good. Wayne Gale is editing his show. He says like a line over again. Like they're literally, he says the same line two times. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's like you know, it's just you know, it's just that people love repetition or something. And he says it, and then they cut again in black and white and they show it. So, and I think he said it a different way in his imagination a little bit. There's some red filters in the beginning, but there's not a lot of red other than the blood in the movie. But in the, uh, the whole like scene with the Native American guy, there's a lot of orange colors in there. But specifically in the drugstore, the logo of the drugstore, even though the whole building is green, the logo is like that little thing where the snake wrapped around. I don't even know what that logo is, but the snake is red. One thing I liked is where they have like the parts that kind of allude to TV because I felt that fit with the the story yes. and the themes. Like, you know, the sitcom, how they shoot that. When they're driving, there's a driving montage near the beginning of the movie where it's like very clear they're, it's a green screen around them or a blue screen. Um, and that worked well. I liked that. But I didn't love, you know, the black and white stuff because to me it didn't really – I didn't get it. I didn't like the major color shifts they did occasionally because that just felt out of nowhere. Um, I did like the Dutch angles. I think that I Dutch angles are hard to use right. And I think that this movie got it because they realized that if you throw one Dutch angle in there, it's going to look weird. But if you just use a lot of them and you use them in similar shots, like in the action scenes, it works. There's The only it time I think the camera is level in the movie is maybe I Love Mallory. Mm-hmm. And what we actually see in the 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 TV sections, everything else. I, no, actually, because even the dramatization is filmed that way. Yeah, there is almost like, even in the interview scene, like there's almost like a tilt, like literally it's shot like vertically. Like uh, Mickey's face is almost like the entire like part of the upper frame. It's really crazy. They also cut to animation a few times, which just... I saw that as foreshadowing. I liked what they were going with, but they didn't use it enough i think they yeah. should i think they should just done an animated section i like the animation style it's it's very cool it reminds me almost of like the art of john craig felucci uh who's a scumbag but you know it's still good art they should have just committed and done an animated section like they did that sitcom section yeah the, this movie is so rapid at times that it's you kind of get lost in a lot of the meaning i think the movie's intended to feel like a drug trip as it said yeah. a couple times. Oh, man, uh, I did love that one bit where they're high and they, like, distort his face just for, like, yes. a shot. That, they, I, I like they that. They did that one other time, cool. I think. Um, yeah, so, like, it was before they went to the snake guy. I think they said they, like, had mm. mushrooms or something. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, the animated part. So there's an interesting thing about it. They show these animated parts randomly in the beginning, but I think they come back into play. So Mickey is, like, running in a hallway, which yeah. they use when he's running through the aisles of the drugstore and through the prison hallway. And then for Mallory, she's like a cat or something, or no? Yeah, and no, she and then is. she like, she's or or she cat? eats. I can't remember. In the beginning, the diner scene. There's three things I want to talk about there. The only time in the movie that I think 
even for me, the violence was like a little whoa. Is the 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 first person gun when they shot the Mabel with the yeah that was the, the first moment that where was, I was like, like whoa I'm not okay with this. There was like no music. I was like was like holy shit. And then they had fun with the other ones. The bullet coming towards the lady and stopping and he threw the knife through the window and they have like yeah. the opera music playing Ooh, like stabs him in the back. Yeah. A lot of the lighting is really noir and it's like not motivated at all. There's like not any motivated lighting in this movie yeah, really that I can think of. They don't of. give it's, a shit. Even in that first diner scene when they kill people, they start dancing and all the lights turn off except for this one spotlight on them. It's like really and stylistic. For, 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 the, for the kids watching and following along at home, uh, motivated light is just, you know, if there's a lamp in the scene next to someone, that side of their face is going to be lit. Yeah. The one thing I do think this movie does, when it does have motivated light, I noticed it's sunlight. And this movie overexposes sunlight. And I kind of liked it. I'm sorry, I, I, Steve. I, no, I like when sunlight's overexposed because sunlight's fucking bright. Which a couple times it looks like a lot of glowing lights on people too. In the interview scene, the lighting changes like every three seconds. Like the light goes from this really blue hues on their faces and then back to like normal like tungsten light. And there's sometimes just like a red hue. I wasn't sure if it was to express like mood changes in the conversation. I wasn't sure. You said this with green screen, but a lot of there's a lot of projection work done in this too. Another like one of the best moments of the movie visually um, when they're in the hotel room when they're not showing the TV in the shot They're showing it projected outside the window. It's so cool. It's a really great moment really great visual choice Most movies that are two hours in runtime have 600 to 700 cuts. This movie has 3,000 <laughs> This movie's hectic in terms of editing and another really stylized thing is some of the shots they cut to are literally like um, Mickey's face and blood on, on just a black background. The devil thing, which the the whole devil thing is a whole nother demon. That's a whole nother story aspect that I didn't even well, think about. Uh, did you? Uh, I I got what they were saying with that. I think I got it a little bit, but it was like to me, it's just like the demon that's inside all of us. And even they have uh, Wayne Gale dressed as a devil a couple of times, and it's like it movie cuts to that stuff back and forth and. Some of the cutting is ridiculous. You know, this movie is so insane that I don't remember all of this, and I'm almost like thinking, did that happen? It, 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 honestly, I only wrote notes up to, like, I think, um, last note I really wrote was um, with the snake, where they're with the, uh, the Native American guy. So after that point, I was kind of just lost in the movie, yeah. and I just didn't really know what to, what to write. A second watching is definitely useful. Maybe not as far of a time between my first and second watches as I wanted it to be but definitely watching it a second time I was less like preparing myself or like I was I was already prepared for how crazy it was going to be in bombastic I don't think you really understood what I meant when I said it was a psychedelic movie it's it's weirder than you it's can even think it's genuinely psychedelic it's, it's fucked not up it's like you know like <laughs> oh this movie's a trip man it's like Ah, it's like a bad trip. They play with this angles, bad trip. And colors, and cuts, and even film. For, there's like actual film they shot. You know, consumer Super 8 film. I think use. there's actually some digital video used. There's a lot. I mean, we could probably talk about this movie's look forever. Probably should have paid more attention to this, but this movie is a visual bombastic thing. Um, I really had two things. The whole movie is like a constant soundtrack. There's a lot of music. Leonard Cohen. Always, always a pleasure. Yep. There's a Leonard Cohen song at the beginning and at the end. At least I'm, I didn't look it up, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Leonard Cohen. It's he has an iconic voice. I literally do not remember this in the movie, but I wrote it down. There was some sound manipulation, probably kind of going with like the drug trip nature of the movie. I remember 
I remember remembering there was sound manipulation. I can't tell you what it was. <laughs> I, I I did not write really anything for audio. I just was much more interested in the the visuals, and I was just completely shocked by the story. So I just wasn't really paying attention to the audio. Um, wouldn't it, gee, howdy, wouldn't it be interesting if we had, like, a different audio section if only we had like another. If only we had an audio. If person. only yeah. If only we also had another mm. season to work but, on the but, show. Yeah, that that would never happen. No. So uh, now it's time for uh, film facts with Super Eight, but he's um. I, I, hey, we're Super Eight. I think he's busy covering another job on the show too. Um, I so, guess. So he's gonna throw together these facts pretty quickly, um, and I think he'll be back for something later. Maybe. Coca-Cola approved the use of the polar bear ads for its product in the movie without having a full idea of what the movie was about. When the board of directors saw the finished product, they were furious. During filming, Juliette Lewis actually broke Tom Sizemore's nose when she slammed Scagnetti's face into the wall. Trent Reznor watched the film over 50 times to, quote, get in the mood before mixing the soundtrack. Rodney Dangerfield wrote all the filthy stuff his character said. Oliver Stone didn't give the comedian a script. He simply told Dangerfield he was going to play the father from hell. The editing of the film took 11 months. Senator Bob Dole publicly denounced the film for its promotion of violence, even though, as he was later forced to admit, he had never actually seen the film. Quentin Tarantino watched the opening scene with Mickey and Mallory in the diner and immediately demanded his name be removed from the credits. The scene where the police beat up Mickey and Mallory at the pharmacy was purposely shot as a take of the Rodney King incident. I love basically all of this fucking movie because I'm a fanboy nerd but um i think mine is less concrete because of that so i'll let you go first uh, my favorite scene i mentioned a few times um is the sitcom in the beginning i think it's the strongest part of the movie stylistically it's just really clever it's impactful and i just really enjoyed it i mean it's uncomfortable as shit but you know it was enjoyable Mm. It, it was like, wow, that's really good. I think that it was the strongest point of the stylization in the movie, and I wish the rest of the stylization was more on point like that. Basically, the whole intro to Wayne Gale's character, because it, it's exactly what I think this movie absolutely nails. We see all the this like a uh, dramatization documentary kind of news bits from uh, Wayne Gale, who's just like you know celebrity kind of guy, and it cuts after that goes right from the TV to them in the editing room. And it's a great metaphor for the movie because we, we see him and his editors oh, creating scene, yeah. the narrative of these killers. He's like, oh, that shot doesn't look good. This one's not good. The power of the film has to twist reality. Oh, these this, these young couples are better for this because it looks nicer. It's like, it's how do they sell and make these murderers more glamorous? It's fucked up. It's, it's not even how do they make them look more glamorous as much as like how does he make himself look really glamorous finding them it's it's just interesting lesson learned <laughs> i'll just go this movie through the use of you know compilation of uh, or montage of multimedia it uh it creates a really creepy sort of uh 
I think Oliver Stone called an interview that we watched social realism where the film is fictional and it's it's great characters that Tarantino created. I mean, that's what he does. But Oliver Stone pushes at that extra level to make it really culturally relevant. I like if you had to tell me what's a movie that definitively like grabs 90s culture, absolutely this movie. And people might disagree with me on that, but I think in terms of like the media and culture in America, it's this movie, absolutely. The way that the, they put the TV programs in and it makes you feel like, it doesn't make you feel like you're literally watching an in-universe TV program and there's Coca-Cola commercials. It almost makes it feel more real, which makes it even scarier. And it, it, it makes it feel like these people could be real and they could be on TV right next to OJ. Yeah. Or right you next to You just saw a guy get shoved in the oven and, a, and like a guy's head on a pike. Hey look, Coca-Cola polar bears. Yeah, uh, Look, Co- we care about the environment. It's able to be a like really crazy fictional bombastic movie, but also manages to be really culturally relevant at the same time. Like I remember, like when that movie ended, I was like, there was a purpose to that movie, and like I watched it, and I was like, there needs to be more movies like that. There needs to be more movies where like they're like, this is the point we're making, and it's relevant to you and your life. And I was like, that's great. This is probably the best movie, fictional movie I've ever seen that really makes you think about how much violence you need to make your point because I kind of lean a little more towards I think this was a little too much violence and the point was almost lost whereas I'm I'm pretty sure you lean more the other way where you think it was a good level of violence to show because it doesn't try and you know make things too sweet or too comfortable but I, I also don't really think this movie makes any points that other movies haven't made. And I th- I don't know if I'm willing to say this movie makes its points the best of other movies, like about what it's trying to say. I do think it has value. And, you know, if you think you can handle the level of violence, you should see it if you're interested. But, you know, if you're if, if you find that stuff discomforting, um, if you find it distasteful or uncomfortable, um it's not a movie for everyone. It's kind of him saying like, how much violence can America take? You seem to love the shit out of it. Here's a bunch of violence. Does that bother you? Then you're a hypocrite. Then stop watching fucking TV. You, you know, you mentioned he's a, um, uh, he's a pacifist, like a Buddhist. Um, pacifists make the best violent movies because pacifists see violence for what it is. Fucking violence. All right, so um, we're going to do... Funny notes, but it's a little unconventional this week. Um, yeah, we found out what Super 8 was doing. Uh, he, we, we don't know where Joey is. He kind of just up and left, and Super 8, you know, took it onto him, took it upon himself to, uh, to, to get some funny notes going. Yeah, enjoy those from uh, Super 8. Oh, hey. Uh, hi, welcome to Funny Notes. Uh, uh, I'm here today. Uh, my name's Dan, and this is Super 8, and uh, we're doing it today. Uh, so today's funny notes is called Natural F***ers I Love F***ing Corpses Truck Needs a Cold One with the Boys Ryan Loves Perverts Magic Weapons uh, Too Easy Cops X Donuts Big Sauce uh, Ryan Enjoys Murder Cue Ryan Laughing Uh, perfect ass like mothers. What the fuck? Bitch was snake. Deep people is bald. Oh, 
that was something. Uh, this has been Funny Notes with Super 8 and myself, and I think we're actually going to be doing them a lot more next season, as this was crazy. Next week, we're doing something funky that we kind of alluded to um, in our last episode. That is right. I guess we can kind of just reveal what we're doing. So, go for it. um... Next episode will be the last episode of season one, and then we are going to be on a break until uh, January. Yeah. January, um, because you know we're college students and we have to go home to our families uh, for break because we don't freaking live here um, in the great state of Maine. Yeah. But we, our final movie is going to be uh, Metropolis because we want to get some silent films in there, some older stuff in there, foreign, um, foreign as well. So it's a whole lot of things, and I'm very interested because it's sci-fi, and you know we've talked about a couple sci-fi movies on this channel, and um, the show, and it'll be really interesting to you know kind of see the movie that basically created the sci-fi film. Yeah. But um, it's gonna be a lot of fun. We're uh, we're gonna we don't know what cut we're watching because we're uh, we're, we're running out a little small theater to see sure it. Pretty sure we're gonna see the uh, Kino. Complete Metropolis from 2010, the, the full fullest version we have. It's not complete. It's technically lost film in its completion, but mm. we're gonna get a we're gonna get a fun little theater showing for it, and yeah. uh, we'll see you for that. Yeah. Ciao.